What the F is brought to you by listeners like you. Thanks to our Patreon members, patreon.com slash what the if. Go there now and find out how you can become a member and get all kinds of cool rewards. And thank you for supporting our mission for science education and science fun. Welcome to what the if. Brainwave edition. What if you could wave from your brain? I'm envisioning it now. Yeah. Just a little hand waving. That's right. I'm Philip Shane, documentary filmmaker, fan of science. And uh, with me, as always, or as almost always, is... uh, um, I almost said Dr. Gabby Panizia. Not yet. Not yet, but sooner than I might have thought. Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> Dr. To be Gabby Panizia, virologist from Rockefeller University. How are you this morning, Gabby? I am good. You know, last week I got sick, and there's always a level of betrayal, I feel, as a virologist. <laughs> like, there, there's always some level of, like, I was supposed to grow you in a test tube. Like, why are you doing this to me? Um, Or also just like, you know, all of our readouts in the lab are, you know, so different from what actually happens to you when you're sick. So all of my analytical virology brain is completely useless when I have a stuffy nose. Um, So it's always, you know. How how so? How how is it? You mean? Oh, because all of the ways that, you know, I understand infection are through like percent infected cells in a dish, Uh quantifying viral proteins, stuff like that. Um, And just when you're sick, it's, you really just only have to listen to like your own body or the sound of your lungs as you cough your brains out for, you know, 10 minutes on the couch. So it's a very different skill set. Totally. It's experiential from statistics to snot. And it sucks. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Speaking of sucks, our uh, uh, it also sucks that Matt is not here today. Uh, but there is um, there has there's been a rash of these lately, of these uh, sort of um, crises in the space his- the science history timeline. So um, I'm not sure what era Matt has been drawn back to. Matt is a historian of science at New York University. He's not with us. He's on assignment this week. Um, and as usual, he can't tell us what the assignment is. Sometimes he can tell us afterwards, sometimes not. But uh, I like to think that because these incidents are accelerating, Matt has a nemesis, so he is approaching his season <laughs> yeah. finale, um, <laughs> in which there will That's be awesome. some final showdown. But again, we will remain completely unwise <laughs> to it. That's fantastic. But Matt is approaching the boss level, and Matt is a double black belt in karate, so, you know... Whatever is that? We need. We got to get Marvel. The Marvel Cinematic Universe needs to just uh, have Matt. In, yeah, <laughs> include Matt, historian of science. Um, but we are here this week, and um, we have been uh, uh, swept up in the uh, in the I was gonna, in the hysteria and <laughs> the excitement of a news story that has been blowing up my Facebook. I don't know about yours. Well, that would imply that I'm on Facebook, which not really. So. Okay, good. <laughs> okay. Because well, you're, you're on TikTok, right? 
y'all TikTok? You know, I I only get my peer by my TikToks peer reviewed sent to me in a Discord group chat. I am peer reviewed TikTok. Yeah, it's <laughs> essentially like my friends being like LOL and then sending each other like a meme. Uh, so yeah. I I do not experience TikToks firsthand, which is probably good because I have heard that it is a huge time sink. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'm really, I got to confess, I'm not on TikTok that much. Um, but uh, also because it's all vertical and I just, I'm not sitting, <laughs> I, I'm not sitting staring at my phone. That uh, much. The perils I, of being a filmmaker, critiquing the aspect radi- ratio of TikToks. Nine sixteen, forget it. Sixteen nine, <laughs> all the way. <laughs> um, so, but by the way, speaking of which, speaking of film filmmaker um, fastidiousness, I, I will just give another uh, positive review of Oppenheimer. Uh, I saw it for the second time last night. It's a very very dense film. I mean, get ready. It's, it's excitement. It, it's, it's a rollicking ride. Was the second time better? Like, did you get to pick up? Yeah, yeah, the second okay. time. I mean, Christopher Nolan, you know, his stories are always very, uh, so intricately woven. So it's it's fun to see um, the second time. Because on a, even just on a second screening of anything, but like especially a Christopher Nolan film, you now know where the story is going. So you can mm. go back and see how they led you to this story, you know. Um, but the first time you see it, you're just sort of overwhelmed by all the spectacle and trying to keep up with the story. So, yeah. Anyway, very, very good. Very interesting. I can't wait to, uh, uh, we will have on, um, you know, Matt has a friend, um, Alex, who, I can't remember his last name, but he's a historian of science as well, who writes a lot about nuclear, the history of nuclear weapons and things like that, um, who will come on and talk about Oppenheimer, which will be fun. But from, uh, from, the, from the weighty stories of history, like uh, the story of Oppenheimer, we go uh, to a, perhaps a lighter story, but, but perhaps not, depending on how it plays out. Oh, <laughs> speaking of Christopher Nolan, he's got to do the movie to this story. So this <laughs> comes from the New York Times. This is our inspiration for the if this week. And um, uh, actually, before I even read this, well, Gabby, you can explain to people what what is what does it mean? What's the if of, if they're brand new? And what is like our process that we have to go through that leads us to uh, finding a story like this. Yeah. So every week we pick our, if our one thing that we're changing about the universe and we follow that single change outward as far as we can go, uh, discuss as many of its ramifications as possible and usually kind of break the universe a little bit by the end. Um, So we kind of troll through some of the, you know, popular science of the day, things that have come out in science and nature uh, to talk about cool stuff, sort of blend science fiction and actual fact. Indeed, indeed. And so um, one, of, one of my favorite sources is uh, not TikTok, uh, although, again, I'm not, I'm not condemning TikTok. And I think from what I can guess, uh, just based on the vertical videos that I see <laughs> posted to Facebook all, all the time or Instagram, I'm going to guess that TikTok is wholly owned by Taylor Swift. Um, you, I, you know, I don't which know. Which is not a bad like, thing, as as clips go, you know. To some yeah. extent, I feel like that depends on your feed. I, if For my uh, friends, TikTok is entirely owned by DJ Khaled. Oh, okay. So <laughs> I, I guess... I love it, DJ Khaled. It just sort yeah. of assigns you a celebrity. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, uh, so... 
not Taylor Swift related, although there, <laughs> I'm just going to put it out there. I do want to do a Taylor Swift. This is an if for the future. How does one I'm, do I'm putting, an if on Taylor Swift? She's a person yes. that exists. So you may recall I emailed you. So what happens, part of the process of making what the if is that I see crazy stories and I send them to Matt and Gabby. And I don't know if you remember this one. Uh, Taylor, oh, there was yeah. a, a swift quake uh, when apparently every time Taylor Swift performs, there's some part of the show, you know, where everybody gets excited and starts stomping the ground with the same rhythm. And uh, seismologists are able to track this. <laughs> and actually, <laughs> they can know from like, the, 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 there was a concert in Seattle in a stadium in Seattle. And um, uh, the seismologist can literally put it up against the playlist for the concert and see, oh, yeah, that was that song. That was that song. Amazing. Luke Kaiju, Taylor Swift. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's good. That's good. Um, but uh, from Taylor Swift to an earlier generation of musical geniuses, this is from the New York Times. Um, scientists recreate Pink Floyd song by reading brain signals of listeners. Yes. The audio uh, subhead, uh, that was the headline, the subheading. The audio sounds like it's being played underwater. Still, it's a first step toward creating more expressive devices to assist people who can't speak. All right, so there's, there's a sort of uh, positive medical message there, perhaps. But as I sip my coffee, that means that the if is brewing and hmm? things may go crazy. Uh, here's a little bit more of the story, uh, and then we will kind of figure out how to announce the, um, the wicked spell that we are casting on the universe so we can do our thought experiment properly. The article says, uh, oh, sorry, and this is an article by um, Hannah Kiros. Uh, scientists have trained a computer to analyze the brain activity of someone listening to music and based only on those neuronal patterns, recreate the song. The research, published on Tuesday, produced a recognizable, if muffled, version of Pink Floyd's 1979 song, Another Brick in the Wall, Part 1. <laughs> So if you're, if you're tracking the album carefully. Uh, before this, researchers had figured out how to use brain activity to reconstruct music with similar features to the song someone was listening to. Now, quote, you can actually listen to the brain and restore the music that the person heard, end quote, said Gerwin Schalk, a neuroscientist who directs a research lab in Shanghai and collected data for this study. I'm now going to play an excerpt. Let's see if we can hear this well. Um, here is a little bit an, an excerpt from a reconstructed song based on combined data oh combined data from 29 patients okay here we go couldn't first of all so spooky yeah <laughs> second of all i couldn't quite i mean i don't know the song that well enough to know exactly what part of that was it, it wasn't the chorus right it wasn't I, another brick no, in the wall no it is it is it is it is i only really realized that though when i heard a bit that was like wall oh Look, okay i'm gonna play it one more time heard this like yeah. twice now so i think like the 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 that helps and the part that yeah. I heard was like wall was about like halfway, a little bit over halfway through. Okay, here we go. It's another 15-second clip. This is the wall as heard uh, based on combined data 
from the brains of 29 people <laughs> simultaneously. Okay, I see what's happening. So it's actually different. It's, it's like different. It's different versions at different speeds, kind of overlapping each other or something. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's really bizarre. It's very weird, but you yeah. can kind of make it out. Like I yeah. almost wish they had like the same fifteen seconds of the actual song, but I will probably go yeah. and just listen to that later on immediately after this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, continuing with a little bit more from the story here, um, the researchers also found a spot in the brain's temporal lobe that reacted when volunteers heard the 16th notes of the song's guitar groove. They proposed that this particular area might be involved in our perception of rhythm. Oh, interesting. The findings offer a first step toward creating more expressive devices to assist people who can't speak. Over the past few years, scientists have made major breakthroughs in extracting words from the electrical signals produced by the brains of people with uh, muscle paralysis when they attempt to speak. But a significant amount of the information conveyed through speech comes from what linguistics call prosodic elements, prosodic elements, like tone. Quote, the things that make us a lively speaker and not a robot, Dr. Shock said. Uh, by better understanding how the brain metabolizes music. That's an interesting way to put it. Yeah, right. The way the brain metabolizes music. Scientists hope to build new, quote, speech prosthetics, end quote, for people with neurological diseases affecting their vocal production. The aim is for these devices to relay not only what someone is trying to say, but to retain some of the musicality, rhythm, and emotion of the organic speech. Um, to collect data for the study, the researchers recorded from the brains of 29 epilepsy patients at Albany Medical Center in uh, New York State from 2009 to 2015. As part of their epilepsy treatment, the patients had a net of uh, nail-like electrodes implanted in their brains. This created a rare opportunity for the neuroscientists to record from their brain activity while they listened to music. The team chose the Pink Floyd song partly because older patients liked it. <laughs> if they said, I can't listen to this garbage, <laughs> the, the data would have been terrible, Dr. Shock said. Plus, the song features 41 seconds of lyrics and two and a half minutes of moody instrumentals, a combination that was useful for teasing out how the brain processes words versus melody. And um, just I'm just jumping to the end. You should go to the New York, New York Times. You can read the full article. Um, but, uh, quote, it's a technical tour de force, said Robert Zatori, a neuroscientist at McGill University, whose lab established how the brain separates lyrics from music using brain scans. But to play back a song from someone's head, that's a very interesting contribution, he said. They didn't say, but laughing maniacally. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Smithers. You can only assume. You can only assume. So... Um, our process then is after we uh, digest a news article, um, we then we then ask uh, what would be the if. So uh, you're the science, you're the resident scientist uh, on deck, uh, Gabby. And so, how can we turn this to maximum uh, 
conceptual madness. <laughs> I, I think we go with essentially what was the last line of the article. But we can you can play back anything from somebody's head. Yeah. And yeah. any we'll yeah. say any audio from somebody's head. Because it's okay. specifically about audio. What, what if you could play back audio from someone's head? And um uh, what are the uh, safety protocols that we must enact now, and why do we have to uh, be so careful? Oh, yeah. Well, as we uh, do our if, uh, we have a lot of fanfare, a lot of uh, blaring of klaxons, etc., uh, <laughs> so that you can prep for essentially the fact that nothing you're going to hear for the remainder of this if is really the way that the universe works. Uh, and at the end, we can... Uh, disassemble our controlled environment and come back to reality. Exactly. And so, uh, put on your goggles, put on your hazmat suits, and always remember your papper as we ask. <laughs> the papper always cracks me up. Uh, P-A-P-R, look it up. <laughs> uh, we ask, what the if? Ooh. A double, double drum hit there. My brain is fired. What the if we could hear audio from anyone's brain? Brain, your brain could become a radio station. Your brain could be a podcast. For those of you who don't remember radio stations, what the if? My goodness. Uh, so, Gabby, as the scientist, what suppose you know you just th this uh, um, technology just came out? What do you? Uh, w what would you do now? So suddenly, you, we have a way to record audio from people's brain. What's the first thing you're going to want to do? Um. So, honestly, I think one of the things that might be interesting if you can record essentially a full day's worth of like audio from somebody's brain. Oh. So there's, yeah. there's two different ways it goes, right? Right now they're recording things that people are listening to and they're getting that back. So one, if you're just recording audio from somebody like directly from their head, it's kind of a great tool. Maybe if you're like a biographer, you get exactly a day in the life. Um, but if you are recording in any way something internal, like an internal monologue, I think that would be kind of interesting. I think we've talked about it before on the show, but it seems like people have very different textures to their thoughts. Some people think in words, some people think in abstract concepts, some people think in images. Uh, so it would be kind of interesting to see what you get from different people in just purely a way of like trying to understand some of the subjective nature of consciousness. Um, yeah. But it is also just a fun creative tool to be able to directly pour whatever your thoughts are and just record them. The number of times that I've went to bed, written a great paragraph in my head, gotten out of bed to go write it down, and then it's gone, yeah. is unfortunately high. Uh, so I think that that would be like a great use to be able to like capture those thoughts that you're like, oh my god, I'm not going to be able to write this down, or oh my god, that was a great idea, I, I need to just get that down. Well, you can just you know extract that audio from your head. Yeah, that's interesting. So like the first value would be to yourself. I think um, yeah. Everyone could have so in other words you your uh, your iPhone uh, now uh records your thoughts, you know. It records well now it has to be here's an interesting thing because we don't know this the study didn't go into this other area which is 
will it rec- will they record ev- anything you think about, or is it so things you actually had to have heard? So there, you know? so what they were specifically working on seems to be what they were hearing, um, right. but I, some of that has to do with localization of like where you put the electrodes, right? So if you specifically have electrodes in a place that also corresponds to like, audio, like audio processing, right? Then yeah, you're you're gonna just get audio from the outside. I am assuming what we are talking about is a like thousand years in the future, light years away, not so kind of version of the thing that they're doing now. Um, but I think you're right in the fact that the first thing is is usefulness to yourself because. I mean, even now with what it's actually being built for, it, it's being built as a speech tool for people who can't uh, can't speak so that they can, you know, have more normal, natural rhythms of speech. Right. So interesting. Is, this is an interesting clarification, actually, which I hadn't quite thought about it at first. It's an, another value. One of the first values of these kinds of experiments that we do here you realize, oh, what, what, it, what it gets you to go back to the original story? and What were the details there? Yeah, so th- it seems like what we heard was what was in their brain as they were hearing the song. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was like a live recording of what was going on in the brain. Oh, yes, right. So you could record it. So um, it's not your own thoughts, right? Yeah. It's not thoughts. It's what you, it, it's, it's essentially what you heard. Um, like it could have just been a record. Had there been a recording in the room, <laughs> it would have re- recorded the same thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Right, so right. it's essentially pretty good if, like, I don't know, you're somehow, uh, like, I guess covertly live streaming something. Like, if you're some sort of spy and you need to, like, perfectly record or broadcast a conversation, that's yeah. definitely going to be it. Um, well, I think one of the most interesting things would be, because it's it's a recording of what your brain heard it's kind of what you were, we can imagine taking it to the place where it's kind of what you were paying attention to. So, I think so, yeah, yeah. I heard some, there's this totally dystopian thing uh, someone was talking about on a podcast I was just listening to, um, where apparently somewhere in the world, I believe it was in China, I'm not exactly sure about that, um, there's an experiment going on where in a classroom of young students, the young students are wearing like a headband that has a little light on it. And the teacher is teaching them. And somehow the headband is tracking brain activity or somehow knows, based on some, some kind of signals, whether the student is paying attention to the, to the lesson or not. <laughs> and so when they're not paying attention, the, a light goes on and the teacher it, zeroes in on the student. Yeah, there's, some, there's a, like an attention, like brain wavelength that people yeah. like ha- it's it's not it's not like a hundred percent and but people do make those like band things so um there's a youtuber i like michael reeves he's an engineer well engineer in the loosest sense but affectionate like i he builds stuff and right. once he did a controlling a car with my mind with one of those where essentially focus was gas and like not focus was like break. And then huh. he hooked those signals up to a thing that he had actually controlling the gas and the brake. And so it's by concentrating really hard, he wow. had the car go, but it's, it's yeah, it's kind of faulty, but yeah, people are doing different things with brain signals, whether or not all of them are 
good or helpful or particularly 100% accurate yet. Yeah. I think one thing that's going to come, come about from this technology is that musicians will be able to listen now to, oh, this is how the person actually heard my music. And they could start changing the music to be better received by the brain. In other words, for instance, Pink Floyd could listen to that and say, well, the people didn't get, <laughs> it was, it wasn't clear enough. You know, I want to, it was too muddy, you know, so they could change the texture of the music to evoke more, more of the brain, which could make music and music is already a powerful sensory experience. It maybe this is a way to allow musicians actually to figure out how to make it even more powerful. Well, maybe a couple asterisks to that, right? So yeah. if Pink Floyd listened to that and went, oh my God, our music's too muddy. Well, okay. Some of that is like detection, right? These, this is a series of electrodes implanted in somebody's brain. Maybe you're not getting like enough of a map of somebody's brain from this to be able right. to fully reconstruct some of the things that don't come up in the recording, hence why it sounds muddy. Um, and also necessarily like engaging more of somebody's brain, I don't think is always conclusively like a, necessarily a good thing, but it's like you don't always need the other parts to be involved, like just lighting everything up doesn't necessarily yeah, mean light gonna, it up. <laughs> doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be good. That's like you know, as a virologist, I always have the laugh when people are like, "It'll boost your immune system." It's like you kind of don't want that. Like you just kind of want it to work as good as it can. You don't want to dial it up to eleven. Well, what they might find is that they might actually find why hit you know why a hit what makes a hit and what what's not a hit, and it may turn out that you know Taylor Swift lights up more of your brain than someone who didn't make it. Someone we haven't heard of. Someone well, who doesn't get a swift quake. It might be interesting, yeah, to study, like, you know, it, one of the things they mentioned, right, is that they wanted to choose something that the older patients would like. Yeah. So, because yeah. their data would be garbage because they weren't actually paying attention to it. So at yeah. least in the data in the paper, everything that they're getting is only really the result of the fact that the participants are actively paying attention to what they're listening to. Yeah. I, it, I wonder how that would go if you're having like just a recording of somebody's normal day where normally if you just sit a microphone in the center of the room, you really do get everything because, you know, it's just ambiently picking up sound waves. But if you were relying on a person to sort of intrinsically filter, that's kind of interesting because it really does depend on what they're paying attention to. And it's kind of funny to think about because I don't know if you have this, Phil, but when I'm working on something, I tune out audio hardcore. Uh -huh. So yeah, I can yeah, read yeah. a book in the loudest place on earth and be fine because yes. after a yeah. long enough time, the audio just kind of stops for me. Mm -hmm. So, well, you know, or, or is replaced by essentially audio from the book. If they say a sound happens, I imagine a sound mm -hmm. happens. So that's something that I'm kind of interested in. It's like, what is the subjective experience of listening to things or existing in the world? Like what, subjectively are people experiencing and hearing as they go throughout their day. Yeah, and I think we can, as we refine our if, I think what we can say is we, we don't know, um, it isn't clear from the article whether if they stopped paying attention to the music, would the sound of what they were hearing from the brain change or something like that. But we, we're, we're tweaking our if to say, well, well, let's say it does. You know, let's say that what we're recording is essentially, you can hear what the person is paying attention to. And uh, it's, it's very interesting you talk about uh, reading while listening to loud music because I used to do the exact same thing and when I was in college I would um, and afterwards uh, 
uh, I had like a hard engineering stuff I had to study or astronomy test coming up or something, I would go into my room and blast the music, which mm-hmm. is something you could do because I lived in a fraternity house, which was crazy. And uh, so blast the music. And my roommate, Mike Brasovsky, maybe he's out there listening. And I know he is because I have to, since I'm on the subject of this fraternity house that we lived in, <laughs> we, were, we weren't in this fraternity even. We were just renting a room in it because our dorm was being dismantled. Uh, oh, that destroyed. sounds like a college experience. <laughs> It was such a college experience. And uh, um, uh, one night, I remember um, Mike was uh, not up for leaving the room. I'll just leave it at that. And I left uh, Dark Side of the Moon playing. And it was just on, it was on a CD, and it was just on a loop. And Mike was trapped <laughs> in the room <laughs> and just listening to Dark Side of the Moon over and over and over again. He'll never forgive me for that. So, um, But we loved Pink Floyd. Anyway, I would blast the music and... Um, the Blade Runner soundtrack was another good one. But also I would blast like heavy metal or something like that because mm-hmm. it was like the louder the better because, yeah, that loud music blocks out all other sounds. Yep. Right, from the hallway or whatever. And then your brain would block out this loud music. and Yeah, I would study better. Um, although, did I really study better? I ended up not being a scientist whatsoever, so maybe. <laughs> I mean, maybe your head was in it, but your heart wasn't, so. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I also did so, the same thing, so I think there's some logic to it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, what would be really fast? I mean, again, okay, so we're doing a podcast, right? It would be so interesting to listen to. We could have our listeners. And so, if, but listeners, if you have any, if you're recording your brain right now, um, I'd be so interested to hear you listening to an episode because you could hear parts that <laughs> the listeners mm-hmm. were tuned in and parts where they weren't. And then you could hear what they were tuned into when they weren't listening, you know, maybe they're in Starbucks or whatever, <laughs> ordering a coffee. Um, now, we're so close to the edge of the question of in this uh, technology that we've got in our hands for the if, whether we can hear the thoughts or not. Yeah, so as it is in the paper, it seems yeah. like what they're recording from is very focused. So a lot of times in research, you want to be focused so that you can actually get out what you're looking for. They were specifically looking for how the brain processes audio. Therefore, they were very specific in, you know, recording from, I guess, specific regions. I assume that the epilepsy implantations are maybe more specific than more extensive than they maybe necessarily Mm. needed. Um, Mm. But and, and to be honest, some of the extra noise in there might be other thoughts happening at the same time. Maybe. I don't really know. I'm not a neuroscientist. Ooh, that's interesting. The the layering of how they turn all of these signals into, you know, back in the song is, I think, very interesting to me, but it's also completely out of my wheelhouse. Um, I think they actually said that they had different softwares for every region of the brain they were recording from, something like that. Like, they, they each part of the brain was processing it a little differently. So they had to use different ways of, you know, translating it. I think I'll have to look through the article again. Um, But if we just assume that, okay, maybe we've gotten really good at this. And again, just dial it up to 11. We can say maybe that we've made that jump. Yeah. To hearing thoughts. I think, uh, um, I mean, the thing is, you got to say that, uh, well, it'll be a fascinating thing. We do know that um, that 
there was another story, I can't remember, did we go into this story or not, where um, it was a similar recent story where um, patients went into like an MRI machine where, that record, or, or fMRI, right, that recorded their brain activity in real time. And they asked them to listen to podcasts. Like they listened to a 10-minute hmm. audio story from This American Life or something. And then... And, and, and the fMRI recorded how their brain was hearing it as they were listening in real time. Okay, so the brain sees that. And then, th then they turned it off, and they asked the patient to remember the story that they just heard, right? Mm -hmm. And the brain could then match up the signals and see that what essentially could read their thoughts because it recognized you know, they were essentially playing the same sounds again in their head as they were remembering the words. I mean, it gets really weird and muddy and complicated there, but yeah, essentially but the... Think know. about how useful that is in the fact that you have, like, the controlled environment. Like, you know what the output must be. Yeah. In the wild world of whatever anybody could be thinking of, you have no way to disentangle that. In the last sentence that I said... I, for some reason, you know, as I was saying, like, oh, you don't know what you, what you have to disentangle, the word cockroach popped into my head. If you just uh -huh. try to take the last sentence, then you have to untangle so many different extra things and extra random thoughts that I had that were just sort of little mental fireworks that got pushed away. And, you know, while I actually focused on what I was saying, yeah. that trying to actually decode that is probably a little insane. So having at least an input-output uh, after it grows through all the mush of our gray matter, uh, is probably very helpful. Oh yeah. Well, I think what's going to happen is they're going to need um, essentially vast amounts of data. So in other words, they, they're going to between now and useful software for this stuff and hardware is going to be recording the brains of perhaps millions of people, right? Oh yeah. Listening to all different kind of things so that it can then start to record. Essentially, that's how AI works. You know, they just it sees a vast amount of data and then from that builds up lots of patterns. I mean, it's interesting that they, that the sound that they uh, offered, the sound samples they offered were 29, were the sounds of 29 patients' brains all put together. They did have one is, individual sample later. Oh, they do? They did, yeah. yeah but they, they just wanted to show you just that sort of cumulative thing. But right, they did right. show oh, then, just one individual patient so that you could hear the differences between how two oh, people Oh, here we go. Okay. I, very good. All right. So I'm going to play that one now. This is individual from the, from the article. Individual differences, an excerpt from a reconstructed song created by, from the data of a single patient. Let me go back. Take it back to the beginning here. All right. Here we go. <laughs> it sounds it, just, just as weird. It sounds pretty okay. similar, but I almost think that one is clearer. A little clearer. Yeah. 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 The so voices think... are clearer. The singing, the singer is clearer. Yeah. Um, now, of course, part of the part of the weirdness of and the mushiness of the recording is also perhaps the the technology they're using to record it, right? Yeah. Um, so they they mentioned primitive. too that they use 128 different frequency bands to record from which oh, trained 128 different computer models. But if you think about a song and how many different 
like melodic pitches are being used across all of the different instruments, it's probably a lot more than that. So, yeah, you know, they, they compare it to, you know, a photo and like pixels. The more pixels you have, the better resolution of the photo. It, they are essentially dealing with like a 16-bit or 100, well, yeah, 128-bit audio kind of. So... Actually, you, yeah, you would know way more than I would. Yeah, worse, just, way worse than that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, but it is it is like looking at a picture where, um, you could barely, barely, just like we can barely make out the song. So it'd be just looking at a picture, you could barely make out what the that there's a picture of a giant pig balloon floating over a uh, um, <laughs> power station. But that's a different album than Breaking the Wall. <laughs> I I um, think it's interesting yeah. that you mentioned that they would need recordings from a lot of different people. Because I think, yeah. one, 100% true, 100% correct, they would need a lot of different recordings from people. But like how I mentioned at the very beginning, people tend to think pretty differently. So I wonder if first layer would having to be start beginning to stratify the way that people think. And then from there, you could start developing software mechanisms to decode like this type of way that a person thinks and like so on from there. Um, like... Again, this example comes up a lot because I, it's an example of like different thought processes that I interact with every day. My partner is ADHD. He has ADHD. So he, the way that he thinks is very different. And the way that he's described it to me is that like sometimes like he'll just say something and I'm like, in my head, I have to do the eight different steps that he went to follow how he made that jump. And it's, it's, inter it's interesting for me because over like eight years of knowing him, I've been able to backtrack that. And so I have like a pretty good idea of it. But if you are somebody trying to just map those, I assume those thoughts don't get completely finished. So you watch somebody just boom, like lightning jump from one thing to another with like maybe half a word between each one of the jumps. And what what does that translate to if you are trying, if you're trying to use a model built on somebody who has an extremely linear thought process and then you you know, apply that to somebody who does not have a very linear thought process, yeah. you're going to get mush. So I can only assume you're going to have to build models that treat each thinking type maybe slightly differently so you can figure out how to to handle what would what is thought, but in other models would be considered noise. Right. In other words, you record somebody's brain, and then you, uh, the computer you load someone's you load a recording of someone's brain into um you know microsoft brain word <laughs> and uh you wait for brain word to uh to translate it to text and it says i can't understand this it'd be sort of like because you're saying if people's brains may function in different ways so it'd be like if you had a quicktime movie and you try to play it in windows media player and it just says i can't do that so oh, or, oh okay so or more just yeah. how, you know, how when, if any of you guys use the Zoom live captioning or any kind mm. of live captioning service or like right. YouTube auto captions, people who speak a very specific type of English, you know, like British English, American English, mm -hmm. usually mm -hmm. can be understood fine. Anybody with an accent that's like, you know, they may be learned English second, it's going to mangle it. And so I wonder like if it would be something like that where, yeah, you get a response, but it looks ridiculous. Um, yeah. and there's like no way to interpret it where like, you know, because it's built expecting only a single, a very default air quotes type of, um, thought process. 
Right, and then you'd have to say, okay, now I have to apply different filters. Is it the uh, uh, which one? Oh, ADHD. Did you did you apply the ADHD yeah, filter? Did you apply oh, your okay, now it understands. Process. Did you apply <laughs> your like uh, no internal monologue filter? Actually, that's the one yeah. that's very interesting <laughs> yeah. to me. Some people do not have an internal monologue. So uh, how would you translate that? Yeah, that signal would just be empty. Yeah, right? or just be noise, I guess. Yeah. Well, because here's what's really cool, what, what this is reminding me of, is that uh, essentially what we've evolved to is we're imagining, okay, you can record someone's brain. And I think typically when we think about recording someone's brain, we imagine it being played back at just like a movie, like a video recording or mm -hmm. something. Very normal. Even on Black Mirror, when they've done a number of episodes where... Uh, they're showing something that was recorded in someone's brain, like memories that the person has. It plays back just like a movie, you know? Maybe it has a lot of jump cuts in it or something like that. But what we're saying is actually, the actual recording of every person's brain would be so weird, right? It'd be like all kinds of things happening at the same time. And oh, yeah. It'd be more like a Michel Gondry version of life, you know, layered and surreal and things like that well like the first thing i always think about is i my so memory is intrinsically weird uh one yeah. thing that's kind of a weird quirk of memory is that you don't remember the thing the first time like you know the actual event the thing happens every time you remember it you remember the last time you remembered it so <laughs> right it's sort of a constantly overwriting system it's it's yeah. kind of why people say like memory is sort of fallible and why you might not like why you might lose things because over time you've just sort of dropped that piece out of your memory. And personally, visual memory is like very weird for me. I don't if you I'm one of those people that if you asked me to imagine like a red box sitting on a table, everything would look really smudgy. Like I didn't have my glasses on. I could just get vague shapes, vague colors. <laughs> And so to some extent, I have that with memory. I have to really, really, really focus. And usually I have to remember a single image, a single snapshot to get anything clear. If I try to rem like remember anything that moves, the resolution is terrible. So therefore, if somebody was ever trying to reconstruct images from my head, they'd be like, God, this idiot can't see at all. <laughs> Despite the fact that, you know, for all of these interactions, I'm wearing my glasses but or contacts. Yeah, interesting, interesting. And one of the most interesting things you mentioned, you alluded to, was the sort of overlap. Like you said, oh, you were talking, and then you heard the word cockroach in your head simultaneously. The the amount of overlapping dialogue that goes on in your brain, depending on how much coffee you've had or <laughs> other things, <laughs> oh yeah, would be really bizarre. I mean, that'd be really strange, you know. Um, I mean, you can imagine. Essentially, we can imagine a virtual reality setup where. You've recorded somebody's, somebody's recorded their brain, their memory, recorded their brain for a day, as you said. And then you, someone else, puts on the virtual reality headset and experiences everything that went on in the brain of this other person. It would be so chaotic and strange. And um, you, I think at first you'd go insane. Perhaps oh, yeah. even the person themselves, if they listened to it, they would go insane because you at first wouldn't. Uh, while the things are happening in your brain, your brain is your attention is shifting from place to place, so it's allowing you to keep track of things. But if you then listen to a recording of it, you would just hear everything all at once until you learn to again start to listen to different pieces. Yeah, like I think you definitely have to calibrate. And actually, something can use. I'm pretty sure there's like a premise of an old science fiction short story that's very much like that, 
where like I'm sure. you could yeah. record from people's brains, but then people would decided like they would like try to like link and like experience other people's consciousness, and it just bricked them. Like they it completely destroyed them because they had no frame of reference yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. This but this is a great this is a great genre or, or subgenre or topic in science fiction. I'm thinking of a number of movies. There's a great a French film uh, by the master of uh, French cinema, Alain René, um, called Je t'aime, Je t'aime. I, I think that's the title. Uh, where a guy is put into like a, a time machine and he bounces through different parts of his life. But it's essentially it's it's made in a way that's very similar to as if he's remembering all these different parts of his life. So the whole so the movie in a nonlinear, really random fashion just jumps back and forth between all these different parts of his life. Um, and then there's like a little mouse that appears in some of the scenes and runs through the scene. And he in other words, these weird surreal things happen. Um, there was a movie uh, called Brain Scan or Brainstorm by Douglas Trumbull, who. Uh, I believe he's one of the inventors of IMAX, actually, the great special effects wizard. And he made a movie um, imagining this kind of thing where you could record people's thoughts as virtual reality. Um, I think... Uh, and then, of course, the, the, I was just going to say The Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Is that the right? Yeah, the right I, think, I think it beautiful is. Beautiful yeah. film. Where what if you could erase memories? And, and Michelle Gondry does a fabulous job, really much more expressive and art artistic version of what do your memories look like and what how do they look when they change you know if you take something out of it what happens uh, i mean one i i think that's i think that this is an idea that fascinates us so much because it is right at that edge of like the mystical mundane we're thinking mm, all the time mm. but yeah. actually ever really understanding another person on the level of our own internal monologue is yes. something that has evaded us and probably will continue to evade us. So I think it's something that we're like very, very captivated at, especially like humans are a social species, right? We want to understand each other and interact with each other. And so therefore like that sort of like concept is something that is really interesting to us, but is also still so evasive. Um, yeah. Just the way that we, that another person intrinsically exists on a level that's like completely different from you. Like, one of the things that's kind of funny that's posited that I don't actually know if there's a really good scientific answer to is if we both point at something and say red, how do we know we're actually seeing the same color? Right. That we could just both have been taught that color is red, but I yeah. perceive it in this very specific color way. And you perceive yeah. it a completely different way that if I look through your eyes, I would be like, that's not red. What are you talking about? Um, but we've all just sort of agreed that wavelength is going to be red. Um, yeah. So there's just all these like little quirks of like acknowledging that other human beings have intrinsically subjective experiences and us always wanting to peek behind that curtain that I think right. makes the idea of technology like this so present in sci-fi because it's so evocative to us. Yeah. I think it's very polite of you when you say other people have intrinsically subjective uh, views of things. I would, you mean wrong. <laughs> no, I mean, not always, but some people. Some people no, are just I'm wrong. Just, I'm just, I'm just, just wrong. Just I actually, wrong. That's I actually not red. say that to my boyfriend a lot. We're like, even like over a minor thing of just like, yeah. like oh, I like this shirt. I was like, it's okay. Some people are wrong. Like, yeah. Just, <laughs> as, like, <laughs> dumb, That's very good. Or talking bag. about the colors. Yeah, talking about the colors. I'm colorblind, and I was out with a friend just just <laughs> the other night, 
And uh, she was pointing to something and she says, oh, look how beautiful that blue, the gigantic blue building is, you know? And I'm like, looking around for the blue building. <laughs> this one. And it was, you know, to me, it looked white, you know, because I'm colorblind for this particular frequency. So um, that was a shocking demonstration, actually. Uh, I can imagine, here, we, as we start to wrap up here, I can imagine, um, again, I always feel like this science fiction story must have been done. Um, but I thought of one in which it's Valentine's Day, and um, uh, there's a couple, and one of them, one of the cup, one member of the couple, brings home, uh, you know, this beautiful new thing they just bought at the Apple Store, and uh, they open it up, and it looks like a virtual reality headset. No, but it's not virtual reality. It records your brain, you know. And then what happens is each partner then ends up getting, you know, being able to put it on and see how the other partner sees the world, including themselves. Ooh. It would just be a total disaster. <laughs> yeah, I could see that probably not going great. How weird would that be? Imagine seeing, you know, literally how the person perceives you, at least in a sensory fashion, if not emotional. Like, one thing we didn't talk about is the, the, I think we do draw a limit here. These things don't record your emotions, really. But you can see how the brain is, what the brain is paying attention to and how it's even what it sounds like. You know? Yeah. Also, I mean, my goofy thing is if you're recording your, you know, thoughts, experiences, whoever's seeing mine has to adjust the fact that everything is on a five foot tall viewing. And, or I <laughs> right. guess a little well, bit yeah. shorter because my eyes are lower yeah. than the top of my head. Uh, That's so right. everybody That's has right. to get used to seeing to a 410 viewpoint. Uh, but I would yeah. very much enjoy watching stuff from the perspective of somebody who's much taller because every time I put on heels and I'm even just like two inches taller, it's like, oh, wow, this is weird couldn't imagine yep. being like straight up a foot taller. Yeah, yeah. No, I have the same thing too when I wear, and I don't wear very high heels, but even when <laughs> I wear just, yeah, boots, you know, with high, just slightly higher heels, I feel like, oh, wow, this is a different view of the world. Um, uh, I will say that that kind of thing is coming very soon because uh, um, high heels? the Apple, would, <laughs> no, <laughs> well, being able to see what the world looks like from a different person's stature and, and other things, um, because the Apple headset, which is coming out next spring they say um what's it called apple vision something. oh yeah um yeah. uh you can record they say record memories essentially if it'll record a 3d movie of whatever you're looking at if you ask it to and then you can play it back but yes you playing it back makes sense because it's like oh yeah that's how it, and, and, and what they show in the demo in the commercial is a father um you know looking down at his two daughters and they're celebrating the birthday of one of them and Sidebar, did that, when you watched that, did that seem really dystopian to you? Because every oh, yeah. one of my friends was like, ew, like instant no reaction right. to that. That's exactly what I said. Yeah, I was like, no, that just looks so wrong. Um, it, it looked less creepy when it was done in like the movie uh, Minority Report, <laughs> like when Tom Cruise was watching videos of his son. Um, uh, but anyway, you will literally be able to then, right? The, when yeah. that guy's uh, other family members put that on, they will see what the world looks like from dad's height. Hmm. You know, yeah. so strange, right? Uh, oh, yeah, that'd be very disorienting now that I'm thinking about it. Huh. And you would, interestingly, speaking of, you know, having children around, it would be absolutely fascinating to and, and horrifying to um, see what the world looks like from children of all different ages, right? Oh my God. Yeah. Like what the world looks like from, you know, three feet tall. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. 
I remember once I, I was visiting my sister when my um, nephew was like six or seven years old, and uh, he, you know, I had a little one of those little tiny pocket digital cameras, and I gave it to him, and he took it, and he just ran around filming things <laughs> like an insanely chaotic fashion. Oh yeah. But it was one of the most fascinating movies I ever saw. It was just something you would just generally wouldn't do, you know. But and you saw the world from his height. He's got know? promise. He's breaking all the laws of filmmaking. Exactly. He's exactly. Pioneering. Yeah, he is actually a brilliant mathematician right now. So see, start well. early. <laughs> yeah. Um. So very cool. Very cool. How would you? Uh, where do you think this goes if we jump a uh, uh, thousand years uh, in the future? Huh. Well, I mean, you know me, the dystopian aspect is always sort of somewhere in what I'm thinking of. Uh, But, hmm, I don't know. Because, so on one level, just being able to record internally anything is sort of interesting. And my head goes to like a spy perspective. Like if, if anything can be recorded just by the fact that you exist, around there that sort of wigs me out because already the fact that everything is recorded there are cameras everywhere like essentially you're always watched every moment of the day is already a weird um experience and is sort of dystopian thing in our own life i can imagine hitting completely new levels of paranoia if that becomes some sort of surveillance tool is sort of you know taking people's auditory memories of things as a way of listening in um, but let's hope it doesn't go there yeah. or, or, or just simply that continuing to think in a very chaotic fashion is, is enough to disrupt it. Yeah. Yeah. I could, it's funny. I, I, interestingly, it didn't come up in this episode yet. I was thinking about it before we started. And that is that I think one thing, one dystopian thing that's going to happen is Spotify is going to start charging you for every time you remember that song you can't get out of your head, you know, your subscription, you're going to need an unlimited subscription, unlimited brain loop subscription. Which is going to be every- terrible, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, 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 and likewise, Netflix, every time you remember, you know, if you, uh, if you watched a movie on Netflix and then you went to sleep and you dreamed about that movie over and over and over again, Netflix is charging you for every, uh, every loop. That's the only way Netflix can survive, you know. Um, yeah, there's so many, uh, so many possibilities here. Readers, readers. <laughs> I would hope. Wow, you don't have readers. I've, I've called our listeners all kinds of things. <laughs> I've never called them readers before, but I think that's pretty cool, actually. Be readers, science fiction readers, listeners. If you have ideas, where does your mind go? I know we barely scraped the uh, surface of um, all the directions this could go. Uh, or are there other movies or books you've read, uh, movies you've seen? that touch on this subject that are favorites of yours, that would be great. And if you have artistic talent, as we now know, many of you do, uh, send in your drawings. What drawings come to mind when you listened to this episode? Or just do a brain dump. <laughs> <laughs> the brain dump, that'll be one of the, that'll be Microsoft brain dump. Adobe, it'll probably be an Adobe, Adobe. project. Yeah, that sounds like an product. Adobe. Adobe brain dump. Uh, just put your images right into uh, brain shop. Photoshop and uh, send them to us. Uh, our website is uh, whattheif.com and you can contact us there. Also, we are on Patreon and uh, this episode, if you enjoyed this episode, um, you can thank our Patreon supporters. If you didn't enjoy it, don't blame them. We'll take the blame for that. 
but uh, be on Patreon, support the show. Uh, really helps us a lot. And you, as a Patreon supporter, if you are a Patreon supporter, you get all kinds of cool stuff uh, that you can wear, that you can drink from, that you can stick on things. It's just stickers um, and uh, all kinds of other things, as well as tons of bonus content. We record a special extended episode uh, only for our Patreon supporters. So um, sign up at patreon.com slash what the if. Um, Gabby, your uh, your book is out. I believe I'm waiting for the uh, Dead Tree edition to arrive, the printed version to Ooh. arrive. Uh, the link for it is uh, on our website and on the in the podcast show notes you're listening to right on this app you can uh, order check out or order um, Gabby's uh, story is inside an anthology and so tell us again the title of the story and uh, the, the story is a sword between the stars and the anthology is uh, luminous and machinations queer tales of monumental invention it is luminescent very- machinations is a tongue twister it really is, and really I never think I, I pronounce it correctly, but it's, I, I will say I'm like two-thirds of the way through the anthology, and the stories in there are like very good, so it's awesome. just been enjoyable to read. Yeah, that's really cool. That's really cool. So check that out, um, and I know Matt will be back um, next week. Don't uh, is there anything you want to, <laughs> depending on how time time goes, I can't, I can't say, I don't know how the timeline will turn out, if Matt is successful. In um, battling the, uh, the what was it, the kaiju, his nemesis, or the kaiju Taylor Swift, depending on how we want to spin this. Right, <laughs> he's battling Taylor Taylor Swift. Be funny. Um, so, uh, is there anything you'd like to plug? You have anything coming up this week? Or I am still unplugged. I will. I do have other creative stuff in the works, but it's not far enough along for me to be able to talk about it yet. So, stay tuned. All right. All right, and uh, uh, listeners, if you uh, um, have uh, anything, if there's science-related activities that you think people would enjoy, either online, it could be virtual things, or if you're in a city and you're like, hey, I want the people of Cincinnati, for, for instance, I'm ha- going to happen to be in Cincinnati this weekend, so I don't know. Is there any, what's happening in Cincinnati? If you're in Cincinnati or whatever city you're in, <laughs> if there are fun science-related events, let us know. We will uh, plug them for you. So as we wrap up now, uh, Gabby, what do we need to do? Because we really, we really pushed the universe pretty far today. Yeah, well, as we exist in this strange new reality where our brains are constantly being recorded from, spied on, listened in on, and all of our babbling self-conversations are totally decodable. Uh, We cannot help but shout the name of the show together in unison. What the Good luck, Matt, battling the the forces of the universe. And thank you. Thank you for your service. And thank you, Gabby, for your service. And thank you, listeners, for all of your service. Join us on Patreon if you have not already. And we'll see you all next week. Bye.